thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. All right, good morning, and here we are, chapter 42 of Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry, and this is Noah and the Noahkites. In reality, there is no legend of Noah to be found in any of the Orthodox Masonic rituals. There is no myth like that of Enoch or Euclid, which intimately connects him with the legendary history of the institution. Yet the story of his life has exercised a very important influence in the origin and the development of the principles of speculative Freemasonry. Dr. Oliver has related a few traditions of Noah which, he says, are Masonic, but they never had any general favor among the craft, as they are referred to by no other writer, and if they ever existed, are now happily discarded. The influence of Noah upon Masonic doctrine is to be traced to the almost universal belief of men in the events of the Flood, and the following up of this deluge by the founding in many nations of a system of religion known to ethnologists, student of race and family history, as the Archite worship. Of this, a brief notice must be taken before we can proceed to investigate the connection of the name of Noah with speculative Freemasonry. The characters and the actions of Noah are to be looked upon from a twofold standpoint the historic and the legendary. The historic account of Noah is in the sixth and seventh chapters of the book of Genesis and are within the reach of every reader, with which, however, they must already be very familiar. The legendary account is to be found in the almost endless store of traditions scattered among nearly all the nations of the world where some more or less dim memory of a cataclysm has been preserved. If we examine the ancient writers, we shall find ample evidence that among all the pagan peoples there was a tradition of a flood that at some far distant time had swept over the earth. This tradition was greatly distorted from the biblical source, and the very name of the protected patriarch was forgotten and replaced by some other which varied in different countries. Thus, in different places, he had received the names of Zesuthrus, Prometheus, Deucalion, Ogius, and many others, where the name has been rendered very unlike itself by very various changes. But everywhere the name was accompanied by a tradition, which also varied in its details, of a deluge by which mankind in general had been destroyed, and the race had, through the means of a certain person, been renewed. We can suppose that so important an event as the deluge would have been told by the patriarch to his posterity, and that in after times, when, by reason of the mouth-to-ear repetition of the history, the particular details of the event would be greatly distorted from the truth, a reverence for this new founder of the race of men would be retained. At length, when various systems of idolatry began to be established, Noah, under whatever name he may have been known, would have been among the first to whom divine honors would be paid. Hence arose that system known to modern students as the Archite worship, in whose rites and mysteries, which were in due course taken up by the other ancient religions, there were always some allusions to the events of the Noachic flood, to the ark as the womb of nature, to the eight persons saved in it as the odd or sacred number, and to the revival of the world as symbolizing the passage from death to immortal life. 
It is not therefore surprising that Noah should have become a mystical personage, and that the modern speculative Freemasons should have sought to use some reference to him in their symbolic system, though no such idea appears to have been held by the operative Freemasons who preceded them. On examining the old records of the operative Freemasons, it will be found that no place is assigned to Noah, either as a Freemason or as one of the founders of the science. He receives only the briefest mention. The Hallowell poem has his name and the flood is merely referred to or donating an era of time in the world's history. It is only a statement that the Tower of Babel was begun many years after, quote, Noah's flood, end quote. The Cook manuscript has the record a little longer, but still is but a historical story of the flood in accordance with the biblical details. The Dowlin manuscript and all the other manuscripts of the legend of the craft that succeeded it has the reference to Noah very limited, his name only being mentioned and that of his sons from whom descended Hermes, who found one of the pillars and taught to other men the science thereon described. So far, Noah has had no part in Freemasonry. Anderson, in the Book of Constitutions, altered and enlarged the old craft legends at his pleasure. He calls Noah and his three sons all Masons true, and says that they brought over from the flood the traditions and arts of the antediluvians and taught them to their growing offspring. This was perhaps the first time that the patriarch was presented to the attention of the fraternity in a Masonic character. Anderson seems to have cherished this idea, for in the second edition of the Constitutions, he still further develops it by saying that the offspring of Noah, quote, as they journeyed from the east, the plains of Mount Ararat, where the ark rested, toward the west, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and dwelt there together as Noah guide, or the sons of Noah. He adds without the slightest historical authority that this word, Noahide, was the first name of Masons according to some old traditions. And that ends a quote. It would have puzzled him to specify any such tradition. Having thus invented and adopted the name as the distinctive designation of a Freemason, he repeats it in his second edition or revision of the old charges appended to the Book of Constitutions. The first of these charges in the Constitutions of 1723 contained this passage, quote, A Mason is obliged by his tenure to obey the moral law, end quote. In the edition of 1738, Dr. Anderson has, without authority, completed the sentence by adding the words, Quote, as a true Noachida, end quote. This edition was rejected by Entick, who edited the third edition in 1756, the committee who prepared the fourth edition of 1767, and by Northwick, who edited the fifth in 1784, each of whom restored the old reading, which has ever since been preserved in all the constitutions of the Grand Lodge of England. Lawrence Dermott, however, who closely followed the second edition of Anderson, in the composition of his Ahiman Rezon, of course adopted the new term. About that time, or a little later, a degree was prepared on the continent of Europe bearing the name of, quote, Patriarch Noachite, end quote, one peculiar feature of which was that it represented the existence of two classes or lines of Freemasons, the one descending from the Temple of Solomon, and who were called Hiramites, and the other tracing their origin to Noah, who were styled Noachites. Neither Preston nor Hutchinson, nor any other writer of the 18th century, appears to have accepted the word for a similar or like use, but it was a favorite with Dr. Oliver, and under his example it has become of so common use that Noachida and Freemason have become to be considered as meaning the same thing. What does this word really signify, and how came Anderson to adopt it as a Masonic term? The answers to these questions are by no means difficult. Noachida, or Noachides, from which we get the English Noachite, is a name meaning the member of a family or race, and is lawfully formed according to Greek usage, 
where Atrides means a descendant of Atreus, or Heraclides, a descendant of Heracles. Noachides, or to use its other names, Noachidia, or Noachites, means therefore a descendant of Noah. But why, it may be asked, are the Freemasons called the descendants of Noah? Why has this patriarch been selected alone to represent the headship of the fraternity? There is no doubt that Dr. Anderson was led to the adoption of the word by the following reason. After Noah came out of the ark, he is said to have taught seven precepts or laws for the government of the new race of men of whom he was to be the father. These seven precepts are 1. Do justice. 2. Worship God. 3. Abstain from idolatry. 4. Preserve chastity. 5. Commit no murder. 6. Do not steal. 7. Eat no blood. These seven obligations, says Reverend Dr. Raffle, are held binding on all men inasmuch as are all descendants of Noah, and the rabbins maintain that he who observes them, though he be not an Israelite, has a share of the future life, and it is the duty of every Jew to enforce their due observance whenever he has the power to do so. In consequence of this, the Jewish religion was not confined during its existence in Palestine to the Jewish nation only, but proselytes or converts of three kinds were freely admitted. One of these classes was the proselytes of the gate. These were persons who, without undergoing the rite of circumcision or observing the ritual laid down by the law of Moses, engaged to worship the true God and to observe the seven precepts of Noah, and these things they were to do whether they resided in Judea or in foreign lands. They were not, however, admitted to all the privileges of the Jewish religion. Marriage with Israelites was forbidden, and they were not permitted to enter within the holy bounds of the temple, so that although they were Noachide, they were not considered equal to the true, true children of Abraham. Anderson, who was a clergyman familiar with the Bible, was, of course, acquainted with these facts, but with a more tolerant spirit than the Jewish law, which gave the converted Gentiles only a qualified reception, he was disposed to admit into the full fellowship of Freemasonry all the descendants of Noah who would observe the precepts of the patriarch, these being the only moral laws required by Freemasonry. In giving the history of the introduction of the word into Freemasonry, we have not cited among the authorities the document known as the Stonehouse Manuscript, because it was verified by a person of that name, but more usually called the Krauss Manuscript, because it was first published in a German translation by Dr. Krauss in his three oldest documents. It has been alleged to be a copy of the York Constitutions enacted in 926, but that is generally admitted nowadays to be doubtful. Yet, as it is not unlikely that it was originally written by someone living about the same time as Anderson, and about the date of the publishing of the Constitutions of 1738, it may be accepted, so far as it supplies us with the suggestion of the motive that induced Anderson to put the word Noah Kitty into the old charges. In the Krauss manuscript, under the head of the laws or obligations laid before his brother Masons by Prince Edwin, we find the following article which was translated by Brother Mackey from the German of Krauss, because the original English document is nowhere to be found. Quote, the first obligation is that you shall sincerely honor God and obey the laws of the Noachites, because they are divine laws, which should be obeyed by all the world. Therefore, you must avoid all heresies and not thereby sin against God. End quote. The language of this document is more precise than that of Anderson, though both of them have the same purpose. The meaning is that the only religious laws which a Freemason is required to obey are those contained in the code credited to Noah. This sentiment is still further developed toward the close of the old charges, where it is said that the Freemason is obliged only, quote, to that religion in which all men agree, 
end quote, excluding, therefore, atheism and requiring the observance of such simple laws of morality as are set forth in the precepts of Noah. Anderson had, however, a particular object in the use of the word Noachida. The Krauss manuscript says that the Freemason must obey the laws of the Noachites. He is to observe the seven precepts of Noah without being required to observe any other religious dogmas outside of those, these being left to himself. But Anderson says he, quote, must obey the moral law as a true Noachida, end quote, by which he intimates that the title is proper for a Freemason. He has shown that this was his meaning by telling us earlier in his book that, quote, Noachidae was the first name of Masons according to some old traditions, end quote. The object of Anderson in using this word in the second edition of the Constitutions was to sustain his theory that Noah was the founder of the science of Freemasonry after the Flood. This was the theory taught by Dr. Oliver a century afterwards, who followed Anderson in the use of the word with the same meaning and the same object, and his example has been imitated by many writers. When Anderson speaks of a Noachida or a Noachite as a word meaning Freemason, he is in error. Although all Freemasons are necessarily the descendants of Noah, all the descendants of Noah are not Freemasons. If by use of the word, Anderson indicates that Noah was the founder of Freemasonry, he is equally in error, for that theory cannot be sustained. His statement that Noah and his three sons were all Masons true has no historical support and lacks probability. Therefore, when we speak or write historically of Freemasonry, this word Noachida or Noachite should be avoided since it leads to confused ideas and to error. And that ends this chapter. So we'll see you next week for the next round. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.